Good morning, church family. Pray that you are all well, and welcome to week number three of our study of the book of Acts, as today we will be starting a new chapter in the book of Acts, that chapter being Acts chapter 2, and we will be looking specifically this morning at verses 1 through 13, or at the coming of the Holy Spirit, which comes following church after an action-packed Acts chapter 1, where as we have seen over the past two weeks, and as the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke has shared that Jesus Christ, after presenting himself alive to his apostles, verse 3, by many proofs, appearing to them in intervals over a span of 40 days and teaching them about the kingdom of God, that he, Jesus Christ, also then, verse 4, told his apostles not to depart from Jerusalem, but instead to wait there for the promise of the Father, that promise being the gift of the Holy Spirit. And verse 8, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth since the kingdom of God was to be for people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, church. To which Jesus Christ then, as we saw in verse 9, ascended then into heaven. And as two angels made clear in verse 11 to Jesus' apostles, that Jesus Christ would also then come again from heaven, just as he went up. To which, as we saw last week, For the apostles then in verse 12, for they returned back to Jerusalem, and that while they were there and in an upper room, verse 14, that with one accord they were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers, to which the apostle Peter then, in those days, he stood up. Those days referring here to the time period between the ascension of Jesus Christ and the day of Pentecost, and eventually then made the point by quoting from two different psalms in verse 20, in essence, at the fate of Judas Iscariot, that that was in accordance with the will of God, and that the need to replace Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle, that that is also in accordance with the very will of God as well. And thus, because of that, the apostle Peter then laid out some qualifications, if you will, for the successor of Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle. Those qualifications being, in short, that he must have witnessed Jesus' earthly ministry and must have also then witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ, to which two men then, church, were put forward to fill this twelfth apostolic position. Those two men being, verse 23, Joseph and Matthias, However, in order for one of these two men to replace Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle, for he not only needed to meet the qualifications laid out here in verses 21 and 22 by the apostle Peter, but additionally, he also needed to be chosen by the Lord Jesus as well, just as the other eleven apostles all previously were. And thus, after spending some time in prayer, Jesus' apostles then, verse 26, casted lots for them in order to seek here the Lord's will as to who should ultimately replace Judas Iscariot as the twelfth apostle. And as we go on to see in verse 26, that the lot fell on Matthias. 
and that Matthias then was numbered with the 12 apostles, meaning that there are now 12 apostles once again in the text here, church, of the Lord Jesus Christ, which in essence then sets the stage, if you will, for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. The disciples of Jesus Christ were given the gift of the Spirit of God in order to be able to faithfully carry out the work of their God. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. The disciples of Jesus Christ were given the gift of the Spirit of God in order to be able to faithfully carry out the work of their God. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God which you can start doing today by opening that brand new Bible of yours up at this time to page 909, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 1 through 13, where Dr. Luke, the author of the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes... When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I stand before these dear ones this morning, after reading this text, It is without a doubt that my words have absolutely no power in and of themselves. 
They only have any power this morning because of the Holy Spirit who now dwells in me and in each one of the dear ones here. Father, I also think of my brother Alex who's preaching today at Ephrata. I think of my brother Ricardo who's preaching today in Marietta. Father, I pray that you empower them this morning uniquely as well. Strengthen them. Encourage them. Let them be faithful to the text this morning. And that I pray that there is much power in their preaching because of the Spirit who dwells in them and who brings the preaching and the Word of God to life to the individuals who hear it. Father, I pray... No matter what preconceived notions we come in with this morning to the text, that you open our eyes, that you open our ears, and that you soften our hearts. Lord, that we be moved by this text this morning like never before, that we see the kingdom of God like never before after reading this text. Where at one point, Father, you confused the languages of the people on earth, and yet Pentecost we see the undoing of that, if you will, a representation that the kingdom of God, your people, Father, will be made up of all people throughout this entire world, and that language will most certainly not be a barrier. Father, I pray as well that you help my lisping and my stumbling tongue this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit guides me and directs me, and Lord, that through the preaching of your word this morning, that your dear children are built up. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, the disciples of Jesus Christ were given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they could faithfully bring the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. The disciples of Jesus Christ were given the gift of the Holy Spirit so that they could faithfully bring the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So as we open here in verse 1, we see that when the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost being, as numerous commentators point out here, the New Testament name for the Jewish festival The Feast of Weeks, as described in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 10. And this festival known as Pentecost, for it came 50 days after Passover. Hence why it became known as Pentecost, since the word Pentecost is derived from the Greek word that means the 50th. And furthermore, this festival known as Pentecost, or as the Feast of Weeks, For it not only was a time when the people of God would celebrate God's provision, but it was also a time when the people of God would celebrate the giving of the law of Moses as well. Therefore, during this time, the population then in Jerusalem would just absolutely explode 
with Jews from all over the Greco-Roman world traveling to Jerusalem for this specific festival. Nevertheless, when this day of Pentecost arrived, as we see in verse 1, they, likely referring here to Jesus' apostles and to the women and to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and to Jesus' brothers, a.k.a. to the company of the 120 persons who were mentioned back in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that they, verse 1, were all together in one place. That place seemingly being the same upper room where they were all previously located back in Acts chapter 1, verse 13. To which as we see then in verse 2, that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. That suddenly church, or out of nowhere church, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and that this wasn't just some kind of natural phenomenon taking place here, church, but that instead this was some kind of supernatural phenomenon that was taking place here, church, whereas from heaven there came a sound like a mighty rushing wind, or a sound like a blowing of a violent wind, or a sound like a roaring mighty windstorm. In essence, what you got here, church, is a sound like that of a mighty hurricane coming through. And that the sound then, church, verse 2, for it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And what's so important to keep in mind here, church, as we read through this account of the coming of the Holy Spirit, is that wind throughout the scriptures is often used as a symbol for the Spirit of God. For example, as we see in Ezekiel 37, verses 9 and 10, where it says, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, or prophesy to the wind, as the KJV puts it. And say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet an exceedingly great army. And thus, in light of the fact that wind throughout the Scriptures is often used as a symbol for the Spirit of God, and furthermore, in light of the fact that this sound in verse 2 was like that of a mighty rushing wind, for it's safe to assume then, church, as F.F. Bruce writes, that this was the sound of the Spirit of God here, who came on them in power. So which, as we see then in verse 3, that divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. Fire also being a symbol here, church, that we see used throughout the scriptures as well, often being used to indicate that of the presence of God himself. For example, as we see in Exodus chapter 3, verses 2 through 5, where the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And these, verse 3 divided tongues as of fire, or cloven tongues as of fire. Not real flames of fire, mind you, church, but instead merely something that looked like that of fire, 
For they then, as we see in verse 3, appeared to them and rested on each one of them, apparently indicating here, church, that the gift of the Holy Spirit would now rest on and be given to each believer or to each Christian individually. To which as we go on to see then in verse 4, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In essence, again, as F.F. As Bruce puts it, for the spiritual baptism foretold by John the Baptist and promised afresh by the Lord Jesus Christ, for it now was an accomplished fact. And although being filled with the Spirit was an experience to be repeated on several occasions, as we will see, for example, in Acts 4, the baptism in the Spirit, which the believing community now experienced, was an event that took place once and for all. Now, in Old Testament times, when men and women were possessed by the Spirit of God, they prophesied. For example, like Eldad and Medad, when the Spirit rested on them in the camp of Israel in Numbers chapter 11, verse 26. And thus so too, the descent of the Holy Spirit here on the disciples was also attended by prophetic speech. However, it was a prophetic speech of a peculiar kind. An utterance, as we see in verse 4, in other tongues. And although some argue here, church, that these disciples of Jesus Christ were speaking in heavenly tongues, or were speaking in languages that were not human languages, or were not known earthly languages, being, as we will go on to see in Acts chapter 2, that these other tongues were known by and were understood by those who heard them, for it makes the most sense then to assume that these other tongues mentioned here in verse 4, that they were human languages or other known earthly languages, and that Jesus' disciples here, who had just received the gift of the promised Holy Spirit and who were now filled with the Holy Spirit, for they, through the power of the Holy Spirit, were not just making unintelligible noises or grunts or sounds with their mouths here, but that instead as the Holy Spirit directed them and gave utterance to them, for they, Jesus' disciples here, were clearly and understandably and intelligibly speaking in other known human languages here. Languages that just moments earlier, before the Holy Spirit came on them and rested on them and filled them that they did not know how to speak. And furthermore, they, Jesus' disciples, for they were making known here, church, in these other languages, verse 11, the mighty works of God. Which naturally then leads to the question, for what exactly does this coming of the Holy Spirit then mean for us as Christians today? And Tony Merida, he puts it this way, that it means we are currently living in the age of the Spirit, and that we shouldn't see these events and acts as something that came and went, but rather that what happened on the day of Pentecost has abiding significance, since the Spirit came and stayed. For the day of Pentecost then was like a mayor installing a great water system in a city. And from that point forward, every new home that is built, that that household then can connect to that water system. In other words, the day of Pentecost was the installation of God's new source of blessing and power for the benefit of his people. Since every person who turns to Christ in repentance 
And faith now has access to the great source of power. Now the installation happens only one time at the point of salvation, but the significance is ongoing. And thus being that the book of Acts focuses so much on the power that believers receive from the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the gospel of God. For I just want to remind you then this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, that since you now have the Spirit of God abiding in you and dwelling in you, that you now have all the power that you will ever need, Christian, to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to proclaim the glories of Jesus Christ, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and to faithfully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to this fallen and depraved world around you, and that you do not need, then, Christian, a PhD to do it, or a seminary education to do it, an articulate tongue to be able to do it, or to have put together the most perfect gospel script in order to be able to do it either. But instead, you just need to be faithful, Christian, to do it. To just faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your boss and your co-workers, your family and your friends, your coaches and teammates, classmates and teachers, and anyone else you know for that matter who still doesn't know Jesus Christ as well. Since the fact of the matter is the Holy Spirit who now abides in you, for he can And most assuredly, take those faithful words of yours, Christian. No matter how bad or how imperfect of a job you think you did in sharing the gospel. And he can use them, Christian. Somehow and some way to get sinners to repent of their sins and to believe in that gospel. And thus, just be faithful then, Christian, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with all the world around you. All while knowing and recognizing resting in the fact that you have all the power that you will ever need for this work since the Spirit of God himself, Christian, now dwells and abides in you. Which brings us to point number two. Beware, Christian, that proclaiming the mighty works of God and ultimately, the gospel of God, that it will lead to division. Again, point number two, be aware, Christian, that proclaiming the mighty works of God, and ultimately, the gospel of God, that it will lead to division. Verses 5 through 12. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. 
And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. So as we pick up in verse 5, we see that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Likely referring here not only to the Jews who had relocated and who now lived in Jerusalem at this time, but also likely referring to Jews who had made their way to Jerusalem for Pentecost at this time as well. And thus as a whole here, church, these were Jews then, verse 5, from every nation under heaven, or every nation throughout the Greco-Roman world. And verse 6, that at this sound, the multitude came together. Seemingly referring here, church, to the sound that was mentioned back in verse 2. That sound being the sound like a mighty rushing wind. And thus in hearing this sound, this multitude of Jews then came together, apparently showing up where this sound was coming from, or showing up near the upper room where Jesus' disciples were located. And as we go on to see in verse 6, that they were bewildered. And that they were confounded here, church, and confused here, church, and surprised here, church, and quite frankly were startled here, church, because, verse 6, each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And that each one in the crowd was hearing these disciples of Jesus Christ speak in that of their own language or in that of their own native tongue. To which this multitude of people then, who were amazed and astonished by all this, began saying, as we go on to see in verses 7 and 8, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? For how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? In essence, the crowd here was just blown away by the fact that these seemingly 120 Galileans, referring to Jesus' disciples here, that they were able to speak somehow in some way in all these different regional languages and dialects. A crowd that was made up of people here, church, as numerous commentators point out from verses 9 through 11, from the north, like that of Asia and Cappadocia, And from the south, like that of Egypt and Libya. And from the east, like that of Mesopotamia. And even from the west, like that of Rome and Crete. And this crowd of people here, church, for they were hearing the disciples of Jesus Christ, who had never been trained in their languages or studied their languages or previously knew how to speak in any of their languages, telling them in their own languages at this very time about Verse 11, the mighty works of God. And thus in light of all this, as we see then in verse 12, that all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Whereas others, church, as we go on to see in verse 13, mocking said or made fun of them and said that they are filled with new wine or that they are drunk on new wine. To which, as one commentator points out, for the polarizing nature of Pentecost demonstrated that the gospel itself would be polarizing. For as Jesus Christ himself warned that the gospel would even separate families from one another, since the gospel of Jesus Christ reorients our ultimate allegiances and demands that we submit our whole lives to the rightful king of creation, Jesus Christ, 
And that message is a polarizing message, one that will continue to divide Christians from the rest of the world. And thus, despite me just sharing with you all in point number one, that you all now have as Christians all the power that you will ever need to faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world, and encouraging you then to faithfully share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that of the world, for I now also want to lovingly share with you all that if you do indeed faithfully share with the world Christian, or faithfully share with your friends Christian, or faithfully share with your classmates, teammates, teachers, parents, or siblings Christian, that of the wonders of your God, the the deeds of your God, the mighty works of your God, and ultimately the very gospel of your God, that that message then, Christian, can lead to division with your friends, conflict with your family, and can cause people who you thought loved you to hate you. And thus, in light of all that, my encouragement then to you all here this morning, church, isn't to try to water down that gospel message so that people then won't dislike you, or to try to change parts of that gospel message so that people then won't mock you, or to try to leave out critical parts of that gospel message, also that people then who you really look up to won't begin to pull away from you, but instead my encouragement to you all here this morning, church, quite simply, is to take heart, to be brave, to be obedient, and to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it might lead to people not speaking very well of you. Since the fact of the matter is, although the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And thus, because of that, do not change that message then, Christian, or water down that message then, Christian, or seek to try to make that message of Jesus Christ less offensive to this fallen and depraved world around you then, Christian. But instead, Just be willing to faithfully proclaim that message, even if this world might mock you, make fun of you, call you a fool, or turn on you, since this world desperately needs to hear that gospel message that you, in the power of the Holy Spirit now, Christian, can faithfully proclaim. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, For I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first. And to share with you at this this time, non-Christian, what's exactly this gospel message of Jesus Christ is that we as Christians have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to faithfully proclaim. And this gospel message, non-Christian, for it is the good news that Jesus Christ the only begotten Son of God, that he came into this world as truly God and as truly man to live and to dwell amongst us and to save the children of God from their very sins, which he did, non-Christian, by initially living a life here on earth that was free from any kind of sin, and that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life, non-Christian, that was holy and just and righteous and good, free from any kind of evil or wickedness, transgressions or sins. 
And thus because of that, he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense, something that we as sinners could never ever do. And he did it, non-Christian, all for the very children of God. However, that was not all that this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished for the children of God while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then, non-Christian, paid the price for their very sins as well by ultimately taking their sins upon himself and by being nailed to and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in their place and as their very substitute, even though he himself, non-Christian, never ever sinned. And in doing so, satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus because of that three days later than this sinless son of God, Jesus Christ. For he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ and today will be the day that you will be forgiven given of your sin, and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, for I initially thought that I would close this morning by making it clear to you all at this time that you absolutely do not need to speak in tongues in order to be saved. And that tongues is absolutely not a requirement in order to be saved. And then I thought that I might close this morning by sharing with you all why I hold to a practical cessationist position or why I tend to side with the scholarship and the many theologians down through the ages who believe that the gift of tongues has in fact ceased. However, being that our denomination does not take a stance on the cessation or on the continuation of this practice of tongues, and furthermore being that I really didn't want to divert your attention away at this time from what Dr. Luke was really trying to get at here in this account of the coming of the Holy Spirit, for I decided instead then to close this morning by initially looking at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Which reads, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city 
and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name, can't be, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. To which, as John Stott notes, that's really ever since the early church fathers, that commentators have seen the blessing of Pentecost as a deliberate and dramatic reversal of the curse of Babel. Since at Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered, whereas in Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together in Christ, anticipating the great day when the redeemed company would be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. And thus Luke's understanding of the significance of the speaking in tongues here on Pentecost was that it symbolized a new unity in the Spirit, whereas it transcended the barriers of race, nationality, and that of language. And thus, if you ever wondered then why we as a church body devote nearly 20% of our budget to missions, or why we as a church body have so many missionaries come in and share with you all information about their ministries, or why we as a church body currently support missionaries who are located in France and Asia and in West Africa, for the answer to all of those questions is because we as a church body desire to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread and proclaimed not only throughout just the county of York Church, and not only throughout just the state of Pennsylvania church, and not only throughout just the United States or that of North America church, but instead we desire as a church body to see the gospel of Jesus Christ spread and proclaimed throughout all the nations of this world church since the kingdom of God is made up of people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation church. And thus as Dennis Johnson puts it, for doesn't it just thrill you then, Christian? To think that God is preaching the gospel of his son Jesus Christ in languages that you do not know. And to people who you have never met. And thus in light of that, for consider then Christian, how you then can participate in this ongoing mission of speaking and sharing the wonders of God in the languages of this entire world. And maybe that's by praying regularly for our missionaries. Or maybe that's by contacting and encouraging our missionaries. Or maybe that's by financially supporting our missionaries. Or seeing if you have been called to become a missionary. Or maybe even that's by serving on our missions board here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. Hint, hint. But please, 
please, please do not ever fall into the trap here, Christian, of becoming indifferent towards seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ spread, Jesus Christ spread globally and internationally simply because you don't live near those people, don't know any of those people, and don't speak the same language of any of those people either. And thus lovingly, let me encourage you all here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, to seek to find ways as the Spirit of God leads you to pray for, invest in, support, and take part in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout this entire world. Since the kingdom of God, the kingdom that you are now a part of, Christian, is a kingdom that is made up of people from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Hence why you then, Christian, should be zealous to pray for, to support, and to take part in this mission of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout this entire world. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body have our eyes open this morning, Father, to your mission of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people groups throughout this entire world. Since the reality is, Father, you are a God of all the nations of this earth. Not just some local God of Assyria or Babylon, Cush or Damascus or Egypt or Arabia, but instead you are the God of all the nations of this earth and that your son Jesus Christ died for people from all the nations of this earth as well. Hence why the message then of Jesus Christ needs to go forth to all the nations of this earth. Therefore, give us the grace and the wisdom we need, Father, to see how we can more faithfully, as a church body, participate in this global mission of yours. And give us the strength and the courage we need, Father, to faithfully then act upon it, also that the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, can indeed continue to spread and to spread and to spread, Father, throughout all the nations of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we should all be reminded today, your kingdom, Father, is not just made up of Jews from Jerusalem or from those in all of Judea or even out to Samaria, but the kingdom of God It will go forth and it will spread and people will come to faith in Jesus Christ and believe the gospel throughout all the world. And so often, Father, we become so narrow-minded that we just want to invest all of our energy into the people here at this church or just in York or in Pennsylvania or just in this country when the kingdom of God is made up of people from every country. Father, give us a desire to partake in your global mission to spread the gospel all over the world, whether that's us more faithfully praying for the spread of the gospel and for the missionaries we have sent out, encouraging those missionaries, figuring out how we can use our giftings and to and our finances to support those missionaries. Father, poke and prod and convict us this morning, I pray, so that we as a church family can more faithfully 
support this global mission. We love you, Father, and we thank you that you have grafted us into your family, into the family of God. Even though we were once far off, the the dividing wall of hostility has been brought down, and we are all now yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.